This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. September 12, 2022. This is now with Dave Brown here on AMI-tv. My name's Andy Frank filling in for Dave. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press discusses the latest news making headlines in the country. And there's plenty of news to discuss with Michelle. Thea Curdy chats about building codes for healthcare facilities and explores what can be done to make spaces more inclusive to everybody. And Marco Flalo describes Google new update to Android. Always great to have old friends around like Michelle and Mark, people who've been here since we first did live programming on AMI back in 2016 and continue to be champions for our live cause. I'm sitting in for Dave, who's away on holiday, and also sitting in for Mike, who's unavailable this morning. So every couple of years or so, they pull me out of the bullpen, you know, the last guy with the, you know, you can still get the ball over the plate, but doesn't doesn't bite like it used to. So bear with me here as we do now with Dave Brown, with me, Andy Frank. And my, my day job is manager of AMI-audio. You might be familiar with that channel, and we'll talk a lot more about that as we go along. So as we usually do at this time of the show, let's uh, take a look at what's making headlines around uh, the world. Let's start with uh, both chambers of the Houses of Parliament in Britain have offered their condolences to King Charles III on the passing of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. In a formal ceremony at the Houses of Parliament in London, the head of the House of Lords, Lord John McFall, told Charles and Camilla, the Queen Consort, that the loss is a seismic shift felt around the world. Only a few months after we celebrated Her Late Majesty's historic Platinum Jubilee. And as you said so movingly, Your Majesty, in your address to the nation, we all now feel a sense of loss beyond measure. Later today in Edinburgh, the King will walk behind his mother's coffin as it is slowly transported from the Palace of Holyrood House to St. Giles Cathedral. The crown of Scotland will be placed on the coffin ahead of the service of prayer and reflection. It will return to London tomorrow for a state funeral on Monday, September the 19th. Canada's High Commissioner to the United Kingdom says preparations are well underway for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II in one week's time. Ralph Goodale says the funeral is a massive logistical undertaking but he is not losing sight of the fact that he is living a moment in history. She has been a dominant factor in the lives of so many for so long, and now she's gone. And you have to come to terms with that, and it, uh, it constitutes uh, enormous change. Goodale says as a senior Commonwealth nation, Canada will have a prominent place at both the Queen's lying in state and at her funeral. He says the Prime Minister and Governor-General are expected to attend, as are members of the Armed Forces and RCMP. 
Meanwhile, Ukraine has kept the counteroffensive momentum in its war against Russia going and claims that in one region it has pushed the invaders right back up against the border. The regional governor of the northeastern Kharkiv region says in some areas of the front, our defenders have reached the state border with the Russian Federation, while the city's mayor has written on Telegram that soldiers are heroes, highlighting the exuberant mood in the nation that's endured more than 200 days of war and occupation. However, as throughout the war, such military claims are hard to verify independently. After Sunday's attacks by Russia, Kiev or Authorities say electric power and water supplies have been restored to some 80% in the Kharkiv region. I'm Charles Deledesma. And finally, Pierre Polyev will address the National Conservative Caucus today for the first time since handily securing the party's leadership over the weekend. Pierre Polyev is set to meet with the Tories' members of Parliament and Senators in Ottawa, where many had already gathered to see his big win. The longtime MP cruised to the opposition leader's office with a blowout victory that saw him capture nearly all of the country's 338 ridings and nearly reached the 70% support mark from party members. He's already begun transitioning into his new role as leader, having just over a week to do so before the House of Commons resumes on September 20th. Today's caucus meeting also marks the first time party MPs will get a chance to see how Polyev intends to both lead and manage their internal matters. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press. And of course, we'll discuss a lot of those news stories and more with Michelle McQuig in just a few minutes' time right here on Now with Dave Brown. Let's go to daily polls. On Friday, we asked, what best describes your feelings about the monarchy role in Canada? And the responses are, I am a monarchist at 18.2%. I am not a monarchist, takes the day, at 54.5%. I don't mind it, came in at 136 And it doesn't matter to me, came in at another 13.6%. Daily poll for today, and I'll be curious to see if the numbers correspond more or less to Friday's poll. Will you be watching the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II next Monday. Will you be watching the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II next Monday? Yes, I will watch live. I'll watch the highlights. No, I will not watch. Our poll is available on uh, Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. and on Twitter at Accessible Media. So uh, let's go around the virtual table here. Let's begin with uh, Eliza Rocco. Eliza, it's first of all nice to meet you on the air. Nice as, to meet as you too. I've seen you, you know, <laughs> shuffling around the office here and there. Um, but uh, Eliza, let's, what are your thoughts? Are you going to are you going to watch the funeral on uh, next Monday? Well, I'm not going to tr- I'm not going to actively seek out watching it, but I think it's going to be one of those things that you're not going to be able to avoid at all watching. You know, like I'm not avo- I'm not personally avoiding it at all, but I just know I'm going to watch some clips over social media because they'll just pop up. Yeah, they will pop up over social media for sure. In fact, I haven't even paid that much attention to social media in the last couple of days. And I've just been watching conventional television because I'm a boomer. You know, we still watch, we still watch TV. <laughs> I don't have cable. I don't oh, have cable, Oh, of course sadly. you don't have cable. Of course you I don't. I would love cable. <laughs> oh, good, but, good. You know, That's have, the right answer. I have, like, 
<laughs> five streaming services. So maybe I need to yeah. cancel one of those first and then yeah. get the cable. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the coverage is, of course, uh, all over the place. And my wife is is British, and uh, she's been in Canada since the age of 19, but she is British, and she is uh, still a monarchist. Uh, so oh, okay. we've had we've had a few debates over the years. <laughs> but at this point, uh, we've, uh, we've, we've buried that hatchet a long time ago. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm exactly. glad to hear it. <laughs> all right. Uh, who else have I got over here? Have I got, have I got Alex Smythe? Alex, are you, are you there? I'm here, Andy. How you doing, Alex? Uh, not too bad, you know. Uh, a bit, bit tired on this uh, uh, this dark Monday morning, but uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. Good. All right. So, what about you? Are you going to get up super early and and watch the funeral? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not getting up earlier than I already need to to uh, be ready for now at Dave Brown. But uh, um, I, I'm most likely going to watch the highlights. You know, I typically watch news every single night. I, as Eliza had mentioned, you know, it's going to be all over social media. It's going to be all over the news sites. I'm, I'm going to get all the alerts on my phone, CBC, BBC, everything's going to be popping and giving all the highlights. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to avoid it completely, but I'm not going to go out of my way and try to watch it and, and consume it. Because as I had mentioned on Friday, I'm not a monarchist, uh, along with the majority of our respondents to the poll. But I think something like this goes beyond really what you think of when it comes to the role of the monarchy and um, uh, how you feel about Queen Elizabeth and, and Charles. This is something that is such a historic moment just on a global stage that this is the funeral of uh, a monarch who's been in reign for over 70 years. So it's like there's, there's going to be a lot happening. We haven't seen this, especially on the British uh, uh, side. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see how this will differ from let's say, when Prince Philip was laid to rest, especially, too, with the, the impacts of, of the COVID restrictions uh, during that time and, and how big, grand um, this uh, ceremony is going to be. So uh, I'm, I'm going to watch the highlights, but I'm not going to go any further than that. You know, I was saying earlier, my wife is a monarchist and I'm not so much, but 25 years ago, and it's uncanny, it's almost to the day, really, uh, Princess Diana uh, had her funeral, and it was earlier than 6 a.m. Eastern Time. It was like 4 a.m. if I recall. It was 1997, and uh, I was in a different uh, in a different line of work, and I was up early, typically anyway, and I got totally sucked into it. I watched the whole thing, everything from Elton John's uh, variation on the Candle in the Wind and all those other moving things. Um, so. I'll bet, I'll bet you anything, my wife is going to be sleeping through it and I'm going to be there watching it because I'm such an early bird and I just, I get sucked in. I get sucked in by these, yeah. by these things. And I have, a, I, I have respect for the queen. I have respect for the institution. I just don't think it should be Canada's institution anymore. That's my personal perspective on it. But um, I'll probably end up watching it. Uh, Eliza, did I miss anybody? Is there anybody else weighing in on this poll before we move to the, to the weather? Just us three. All right, it's just us three. All right, so I think it's time to move on to the weather. And once again, our poll is available at Facebook, Accessible Media, Inc., and on Twitter at Accessible Media. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alex Smythe has your National Weather Report. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, and there's heavy rain warnings in effect in the area with some spots potentially getting up to 40 millimeters of rain. Flash flood warnings are also in effect in the area with a high of 16. Now to Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's sunny and it's becoming a mix of sun and cloud later this morning. 
and a high of 25. In Montreal, Quebec, it's going to be cloudy with a 30% chance of showers this morning and clearing later in the day with a high of 28. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloud cover with a high of 26. In Toronto, Ontario, right where we are, it's a 40% chance of showers starting this morning with the risk of thunderstorms later in the day with a 22 as a high. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's sunny and a high of 23. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, same thing. It's mainly sunny, but hotter with a high of 30. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's clearing this morning as the smoke turns to haze around noon with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 24. In Calgary, Alberta, widespread smoke with an air quality statement in effect this morning. Uh, warnings of poor visibility and breathing conditions, so be sure to watch out for that with a high of 21. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's mainly sunny and hazy with a high of 22. Yellowknife Northwest Territories. It's cloudy, but becoming a mix of sun and clouds later with a high of 12. In Vancouver, BC, it's mainly sunny and hazy with a high of 21, but also has that special air quality statement in effect. And finally, in Victoria, BC, sunny and hazy with a high of 20, with the special air quality statement also in effect. So that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex Smythe. Coming up next, Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press discusses the latest news making headlines in the country. You're watching now with Dave Brown and listening to whatever format you want to use right here on AMI-TV. Back to Now with Dave Brown right here on AMI-TV. My name's Andy Frank filling in for Dave on this Monday morning. And it seems these rare occasions that I fill in for Dave always happen on Mondays. I I wonder, I don't know why, but they happen on Mondays. And there wasn't even a Super Bowl or anything like that in the mix. I, I, I'm not quite clear on this. But anyway, I'm here and I love being here because on Mondays, all my old friends are here. You know? We're going to talk to Kim Thistle a bit later. We're going to talk to Marco Flalo. We're going to have our roundtable with Nisreen and with Ramya. All these fun people that I've known for such a long time. And one of those is Michelle McQuig. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at Canadian Press. And every Monday, she has the uh, privilege, responsibility, you name it, of uh, <laughs> wrapping up what happened on the weekend, putting things into context. And Michelle, you know, I was thinking that, uh, you know, this isn't like some day in mid-July when we have to find some story about the Tiddlywinks Championship in Shawinigan or something <laughs> <laughs> to uh, keep us busy. We've, there, is a, there is a fair amount of content in the news, I think, uh, that we can chew on. How are you, how are you Michelle? Would say I'm, I'm well, Andy. A great surprise to, to cross paths with you, and uh, you're you're absolutely right. Sometimes uh, the fact that we get any content on the wall on the wire at all is about as mysterious as a Dave Brown Monday. Uh, but <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> as mysterious um, as a Dave Brown Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Uh, 
bus incoming. Um, <laughs> but, but you're right. Other weekends, there is absolutely no lack of material. And this was one such, although it wasn't quite as frantic as the my colleagues the week before had a really, truly and wild news week just with the culmination of the oh, Saskatchewan yeah. manhunt, the Queen's oh. actual death. I just got to sort of pick up the pieces this weekend, but there were still lots to Lots to chew over. And will be lots to chew over over the next little while. So why don't we start Indeed. with, uh, we'll, we'll start here in Canada with Pierre Polyevre. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. He uh, campaigned for the top job uh, on the uh, central rallying cry of freedom and addressing cost of living concerns. He said in his speech that people are struggling and some are just hanging on by a thread. So let's hear some sound first from his speech. We are their servants. We owe them hope. They don't need a government that sneers at them, looks down on them, calls them names. They don't need a government to run their lives. They need a government that can run a passport office. <laughs> All right, Michelle, uh, why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit on uh, on the activities over the weekend, on his victory. You you got it. Yeah, no, this, I mean, so for anyone who's been following the Conservative Party leadership race, his win was expected. But the degree of it was the real news on Saturday. Uh, I think there were some people who were thinking it would go on to several ballots because it was a ranked balloting system and that those processes can spool out for quite some time. That was not so. On the first ballot, Pierre Poilievre garnered 68% of votes cast. That's massive. His second place, it's huge, yeah. especially when you consider that there were there were five candidates. Patrick Brown's name was still on the ballot, but there were he, he didn't got other votes because he had been disqualified some time ago. But think about this. With Poitiers at 68%, his second-place challenger, Jean Charest, 16%. Hmm. So not even close. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was immediately over. The, the results were proclaimed even before 8 p.m., so or a little earlier than expected. And it was a really sweeping win, not just by percentage, but if you think if, if you look at a closer breakdown of the votes cast, Poitiers captured almost all ridings in the country. What's really striking is that the members in Quebec all voted for him. He captured every riding in Quebec that there was to capture there, even though the Quebec MPs had all backed Jean Charest because he was their former premier uh, provincially. Uh, so, so many people uh, throwing their lot in with Pierre Poilievre, despite the fact that he had been a pretty polarizing candidate in many circles. So now comes the interesting part. We're probably still a couple of years, Michelle, away from a federal election. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong there, but as long as the no, informal... No, the confidence and supply agreement is until 2025, so I'd say you're right on target there. So that, and that's what, the in, informal agreement between Jagmeet Singh and, and Justin? Uh, yeah, it's somewhere between formal and informal. Uh, it's, called, yeah. it's called confidence and supply agreement, so it's not a true coalition, but right. they do have a, an arrangement. And yeah, that is supposed to go to 2025, which gives Poilievre... A good couple of years to consolidate power uh, for the party to continue fundraising, at which they've been very successful in recent years. Uh, they are shaping up to be a pretty formidable force when that time comes around. So being the remarkably self-disciplined, um, hardcore journalist that you are, Michelle, uh, what, what, can, <laughs> <laughs> what can we expect, uh, Monsieur Polyevre, uh, what can we expect of his tone and of his of his uh, of his uh, of his the, the image that he's now going to 
to to be uh, uh, to be sharing with Canadians at large. It was one thing to, to to appeal to his conservative base. Now he's got to appeal to the 905 voters, to the Quebec voters, all those typical voters that always make the difference in every federal election. You what got do it. you what do you see him? How do you see him altering his ways, or 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 does he just double down and say, "I am I am this guy. I'm I'm swinging this thing to the right. Take it or leave it." Well, I mean, we were talking about mysteries earlier. This is going to be one of them because his his style has been very, very unapologetic, quick brash. He, you know, wants, he's come out with some theories that a lot of people see as, as fringe, that people feel are polarizing. He'd been, he'd been known to show some support for some people who are considered in many areas to be fairly fringe, members of the darker convoys, for instance. Um, so it's really anyone's guess. We haven't really had to see him operate in a unifier capacity before. He's always sort of been one of the party's attack dogs. He's been a long time MP and that's been his thing for quite some time. Um, so, but this is a whole new role. And I, I, I really don't know. I'm kind of curious to see if he will try to strike a more moderate tone. But if he does, he risks alienating his base. Uh, he campaigned on a very specific style and persona. And uh, I think there would be a bit a lot of political capital at risk if you were to deviate from that, but it, who knows? Uh, but two, it's, it's two, what, two plus years is a long time. It's so one we'll of those things like, like, where does that base go back to Maxime Bernier? Like they're not about to go to the NDP. So like, like yeah, no, it, it's a fair point. Yeah, and and, I mean, it remains to be seen what will happen with the more centrist elements of the party too, yeah. who, are, who are probably going to be a bit disenchanted. It's with this going outcome. to be super interesting to see how he positions himself. Uh, it really before is. He gets into the, the boxing ring with Justin, who apparently who is, may or may not run in twenty twenty five. Well, we don't know I mean, this, we've right? heard like, we've heard rumors late. Like, wasn't it last week? There was something that leaked out that he was thinking about doing it again. Uh, if so, I missed it. But okay, yeah. You know what? Like but you I don't said, deal in. You're a professional hardcore journalist. You don't deal in rumors. <laughs> So I'm told. The rumor has it, yeah. Um, but no, right. truly, I mean, two, two, year, two and a half years is an eternity in politics. Oh, yeah. A lot can happen. A we lot see. can happen with all the things that are going on. Speaking of the lots of things going on, mm-hmm. of course, the, the dominant news this weekend, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, where we're learning more about her funeral. Uh, so her coffin made it to Edinburgh yesterday. Uh, there is a whole process, of course, taking place. Uh, very complicated, by the way, I find. Very. Um, oh, yeah. So far, uh, what has happened and what is anticipated for the funeral procession? Well, uh, what's, there's a couple of fronts here. So I'll, in the interest of time, I'll focus it a little bit. The, the, the point in London... Uh, she is going to be making her way to London. In fact, Charles, uh, King Charles III now, as we should refer to him, uh, has headed over to Scotland, and I think he's going to accompany her casket back into uh, Great Britain itself. Uh, it's going to go to London eventually. Uh, she will lie in state for four days, and then her funeral will come at the end of that official 10-day mourning period that's immediately triggered when she died. Uh, the funeral will take place at Westminster Abbey, as befitting the Queen, on September 19th. Um, that's what's happening in the most Coles Notes version possible in the UK. In Canada, uh, the main development over the weekend is that King Charles III is now our official head of state. Obviously, that was triggered automatically uh, when the Queen died on Thursday. He was immediately the new monarch. But there had to be a formal accession ceremony held, and that took place on Saturday at Rideau Hall. Um, there were some, some technical glitches that you know, might suggest that it's been 70 years since this kind of ceremony took place here. Um, 
but Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was there. Governor General Mary Simon was there. They're going to be at the funeral too. That's been revealed this morning. My colleague Morgan Lowry got a great interview with Ralph Goodale, who's now the High Commissioner for the UK, and he indicated that there will be three sort of official mourners from Canada at the funeral, but also a, a whole bunch of other forms of Canadian involvement, including from the Mounties. Uh, that's a little sidetrack there, sorry. But accession ceremony went off on, on Saturday. That officially changed uh, King Charles III to our head of state, as is uh, stipulated under the Constitution. And a few different provinces followed suit with little accession ceremonies of their own on Saturday. So those aren't strictly necessary, but they're ceremonial. And, and it was done, and it's going to be taking place in Ontario too. In fact, a press release came out this morning that we'll be doing that here. Michelle, it's interesting, you know, uh, on the weekend as I was watching all the coverage uh, and some of the coverage was truly really fantastic um, on from, on various different services from BBC, CBC, CNN, everywhere else. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that all the people, all the experts were, comment, were struggling with was King Charles III versus Prince Charles or just flat out Charles. Charles, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's an adjustment. I, I, and I have to say, I did a little double take when I heard, I heard lots of instrumental versions of God Save the monarch over the weekend um but yesterday was my first time hearing a vocal performance yeah. of god save the king as it is as it is now properly referred to yeah and i had a moment of whoa what um it's it, there's a lot of adjustment it's going to be it's going to be odd for a lot of people to start seeing new faces on our currency and in, in several months time whenever that happens it'll be a while um charles has to sit for an official portrait and, and a number of other steps have to take place first but Lots of little ways in which uh, the Queen's presence, or lack thereof now, uh, will be an adjustment for people. A lot of organizations and institutions might have to change their names. Uh, citizenship oaths, of course, have to be rejigged a little bit now. Uh, lots of ripple effects just because of the way our constitution is set up and this, our society has evolved with the British crown uh, as sort of always a looming presence. Not yeah, looming, but background be, presence. It's going to be fascinating because for years and years it was speculated that once this day came, Canada would revisit or visit the whole uh, Republic discussion or some other variation of living without the monarchy in its life. But that, that is a whole kettle of fish. In fact, um, that is a whole, yeah. there, there was a, t a terrific interview. I urge people to, to find Rosemary Barton speaking to Mikhail Jean, the former governor general about uh, what that would, what that would all entail. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's, uh, interesting. It's, yeah, yeah, that was a terrific interview. Um, Michelle, we're, it would be. we're flat out of time, you know, so I think, uh, I think, and, you know, and I'm just a substitute host. I better stay on schedule because the producers are going to get very <laughs> angry with me. <laughs> I don't you have... wouldn't want to alienate. You wouldn't want to alienate the boss. No, you, I you would not. I, I I can't get away with Dave Brown on Monday. <laughs> that, that's routines. Andy for those who don't know. Oh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> at times, Michelle, always a pleasure hanging out with you, and uh, I look forward to the next time uh, we uh, we accidentally meet on the air or off the air, which is sounds good, Andy. Always fun too. <laughs> Great. Great chatting. All right. Michelle Take Mc care. Thank you. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next on Now with Dave Brown with me, your substitute host for the day, Andy Frank. Thea Curdy chats about building codes for healthcare facilities and explores what can be done to make spaces more inclusive to everybody. But first, here is a Canadian Press reporter, Karen Rebo, with your morning business minute. 
Canada's main stock index saw a 1.9% gain on Friday as commodity prices rose and news of 40,000 job losses in August suggested Bank of Canada interest rate hikes are working to slow an overheated economy. Toronto's TSX index gained 360 points to close at 19,773. New York's Dow Jones average climbed 377 points and the Nasdaq added 250. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 327 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77 cents U.S. And coming up in business this week, StatsCan will release its reading on household debt, monthly survey of manufacturing for July, and wholesale trade figures for July. Roots Corporation will report its second quarter results this week, as will Skidoo and Seadoo maker BRP. And on Thursday, the Canadian Real Estate Association is expected to release August sales figures. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. Filling in for Dave today, my name is Andy Frank. Well, every now and then on the show, we talk about spaces that need to be accessible for visitors. But what about places that are supposed to be fully accessible, like healthcare facilities? How accessible are they? And is that enough? Joining me now to explore this further is Thea Curdy, the president of Design Able Environments. Thea, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Good morning, Andy. I'm excited to be kicking off my third year of the show with you. Is it already three years? It is. Time flies and having fun. (laughs) Especially during the pandemic, eh? Mm, Good times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, anyway, we're very very happy to have you and honored to have you on our show on a regular basis. Uh, So, Thea, let's talk about about how most people automatically think uh, of hospitals when healthcare is, is mentioned of course. Uh, but what are some other examples of other healthcare facilities that we're maybe going to talk about here? Well, as always, I always start by admitting that real access to healthcare is a lot more than the accessibility of the built environment. However, the built environment either supports inclusion, dignity, respect, safety, and independence, or it sabotages these and any good practices that stakeholders may be trying to implement. Other facilities besides hospitals from a holistic perspective, of course, include doctor's offices, but also walk-in clinics, labs, your dentist, wellness centers, pharmacies, outpatient rehabilitation centers, and even, of course, things like long-term care. Of all the places that we use uh, that everybody expects to be accessible, it's a hospital and healthcare facilities they expect the most from, and sadly, <laughs> often these are the hardest to make accessible. There's a far greater need because it's not just people with long-term disabilities who need barrier-free access, but really every patient either shows up due to an accident or illness with a short-term or temporary disability, or they get a short-term or temporary disability during the course of their treatments. And then, of course, since COVID, there are many people who have developed disabilities like breathing difficulties, brain injuries, and other long COVID issues. So, of course, facilities need to support not only the patients, but families, visitors, and staff, all who could have disabilities at some point in their lives and will have some disabilities at some point. So inclusive design is just smarter investments. So let's take a province like Ontario, for example. Uh, What does the building code and other accessibility legislation on the books currently require for spaces like these? 
It's important to remember that the latest requirements in legislation are only applied to new buildings or when major renovations happen to buildings. So if any of the things we're talking about today are not evident in the healthcare facilities that you visit, it's because they were built using older codes. Um, What's missing too from facilities Uh, could be because the place that you're visiting is in a rented space. So, of course, the landlord owns the building and then depending when they built the building. uh, So things like parking, elevators, washrooms may not be as accessible as you might expect either. So, of course, anybody renting has to be looking for an accessible building to start with or they can end up with a really expensive mess or limiting their clients. So in addition to the building code in Ontario, um, there's the AODA, and I'll quickly mention the national standard as well. Um, But uh, while Canada has the national uh, building code, Ontario has the Ontario building code known as the OBC. It is slightly more progressive than the national standard and was updated uh, last on January 1st, which we talked about actually with Dave on January 31st show. And uh, there's a link to that show and a transcript on our website, uh, and I'll post that on social media after the show. Um, the healthcare facilities uh, are often like office buildings. So there's basic things that you would expect in any kind of building, like the drop-off area, the accessible entrance, elevators, stairs, ramps, and washrooms. But healthcare facilities are interestingly listed specifically under something called care and treatment or detention occupancy, which I think says a lot. <laughs> yeah, really. um, Uh, They have some specific unique requirements like corridors that have to be wider, about uh, 1,200 millimeters or four feet wider, doors that have to be wider by about um, 190 millimeters or eight inches, and handrails have to be on both sides of stairs and, and can be continuous, whereas normally they only have to be on one side. But that's it. That's all that it says. So luckily, Ontario, of the five provinces that have additional accessibility standards, Ontario's Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, also known as the AODA, is the oldest. Um, And the deadline for making the province uh, accessible is 2025, which is now uh, just over 800 days away. Unfortunately, Ontario has only enacted the design of public spaces to tell people specifically what to do. And I'll give you a link to a really good illustrated guide to that for those who may be interested. Uh, But it's not about healthcare specifically. Um, And this 2013 legislation is quite a bit out of date. Unfortunately for healthcare, it really only has a few things. For the interior, three things for accessibility, service counters, fixed queuing guides, and waiting areas with fixed seating. There are not a lot of fixed queuing guides or fixed seatings in a lot of these places. Mm-hmm. For exterior, you might have recreational trails. You could have outdoor eating areas, outdoor play spaces, exterior paths and sidewalks, and, of course, accessible parking. So the AODA does cover those, uh, but, again, not exceptionally uh, comprehensive way and maybe not specific to the unique needs of healthcare. Uh, the AODA standards, uh, as we talked about on July 19th show on 2021 uh, with Dave about a new proposed healthcare standard, uh, the final version is available and I'll provide a link also on social media after the show. But nationally, we do have a Canadian Standards Association standard called Z8000 Canadian Healthcare Standard. It was last revised in 2018, and you'd think about healthcare, it would have a lot, but unfortunately, it still only has two pages related to accessibility, and most of that's about um, uh, patients who are uh, very overweight, over 350 pounds, so, uh, or larger sized uh, patients. So it does not a lot of help, unfortunately. So um, a lot of what you're talking about is mobility, but how can healthcare space design support more than just, for example, wheelchair users? 
Right. It's essential that designing these spaces tries to understand the many and varied needs of those using, visiting, and working in these spaces, especially as the stress of being there can make spaces even more challenging than others. For people with uh, particular illnesses or disabilities, whether physical, sensory, or cognitive, these issues are too often compounded as they attempt to move in and around inaccessible buildings in order to access necessary services and the care that they need. So like most months, September has Awareness Month for several disabilities, including Alzheimer's, arthritis, and deaf design. So while there's a great deal to do for all types of different disabilities, especially for those with environmental sensitivities, I'm going to focus on those today. The Canadian Arthritis Association says there are over 6 million Canadians with arthritis. For these people, design considerations like lever handles, but not round knobs, uh, control buttons that are larger and operable with a closed fist, which is also good for people who've had a stroke or amputees mm -hmm. with or, or limb difference. And then things like soap and hand sanitizer dispensers that are placed beside the counter, not behind the counter on the back wall, which of course uh, is a limited reach range issue. For people, the Canadian Hearing Society said there's approximately 360,000 profoundly deaf and deafened Canadians, but 3.2 million hard of hearing Canadians. And for this population, assistive listening for all service desks and all consultation, exam and meeting rooms is really important. Um, areas where there are announcements uh, for like inside elevators and waiting rooms can also have assistive listening. And then of course, even scrolling voice to text display and waiting room TVs and emergency call in elevators for people who are deaf and mute who might be looking for help. And then for those who, are, who have um, Alzheimer's, the dementia, which is a part of the dementia category, Canada uh, Alzheimer's Society says there's over 500,000 people currently living with some form of dementia, but over 76,000 are diagnosed uh, every year, adding to the need. And for these people, we see intuitive routes from place to page place, which can include color, shape, and wayfinding. Signage that uses language or department names that are easy to understand, not complicated or technical. And then controlling acoustics uh, for how loud spaces are, which helps many people feel calmer and to navigate easier. There are lots of additional resources, including something called Code Plus, the DeafBlind standard from DeafBlind Ontario, and then a really cool dementia-friendly hospitals design guideline from Ireland's National Dementia Office. So based on what you said today, accessibility in healthcare seems to be struggling a little bit and uh, universal design might not be getting a lot of attention. Is there anything else you'd recommend to fix this other than what you just mentioned uh, and that new and other renovated facilities would be a bit more inclusive and perhaps not create the barriers that we face? Okay, this is the fun part of the show for me. Uh, <laughs> Here's your soapbox. Here you go. So right, exactly. Stand on this. <laughs> uh, so this is the fall of 22 to 2, and that marks Designable Environment's 35th anniversary in business. So you can imagine how many healthcare design projects we've tried to help with. In my 20-plus years, I've worked on over 30 hospitals trying to meet what the Human Rights Code's asking for and not just the minimums in the code. And typically, we're looking at an additional 60 to 70 pages of new requirements Environments that wow. really try to uh, create an actually accessible, usable space for all kinds of disabilities and basically better design for everybody. Um, most of these are, of course, really easy to do. They're not rocket science, and maybe they're even obvious and make a lot of sense. So here's 10 quick things. One, 
put in night lights so that when you're in a room you're not familiar with, you can get up to the, go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and find your way without tripping or hurting yourself. Two, make sure the window sills are lower so that from a seated position you get the same view. Three, use motorized blinds so you don't have to get up and get to the window and use the controls. Four, make sure that there are handrails at two heights for both tall and shorter people. Um, make sure that there's maybe nature pictures on the ceiling above the bed. You're sitting there looking up at this blank uh, wall. Why not make it more interesting? Use digital clocks instead of the, those with the arms so that are easier to read. And they, then you can have really large numbers. Uh, make sure that your ramps, you have two ramps for two-way uh, travel, not just one way, even into a pool. Uh, make sure that the accessible play areas inside and out for, are accessible for kids and caretakers with disabilities. And then, of course, making sure that the breastfeeding rooms and the prayer rooms that you might have are also accessible. And those are just a few of the, the hundreds of things <laughs> that I have on my list. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, the world needs more people like you. Um, are there any other events, or any events of any kind, actually, that you want to highlight? We have about 30 seconds left. Oh, sure. Okay, so I found three that you're just going to love. Tomorrow on Tuesday the 13th in Calgary at the Central Library, they have an event called How Can Design Be Used for Social Good? And I'll have a link to that on social media after. On Wednesday, September the 21st, there's a Planning a Campus for Everyone Confronting the Affordability Crisis by UBC Campus and Community Planning. Um, you'll have to register for that. So I'll, again, I'll provide information on that as well. And then Thursday, October 6th, the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, or IAAP, has a great webinar called Accessibility, Public Right-of-Way, and Active Transportation, given by my Canadian Accessibility Specialist, fellow specialist, <laughs> Marnie Peters. And I'll provide a link for that at T-K-U-R-D-I on Twitter or on LinkedIn and Facebook. Always a pleasure, Thea Curdy. Congratulations on your third year with, uh, with with us. That is obviously your most remarkable accomplishment of all. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Thea Curdy is with uh, Designable Environments, the president of Designable Environments. They invent they invent awards for people like Thea Curdy for the type of uh, activism work that she does. Um, so uh, be sure to follow Thea on Twitter at T Curdy K U R D I. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to head over to The Rock. Yes, indeed. We're going to go to Newfoundland, one of my favorite places in the world, and meet up with our columnist, Kim Thistle, and we're going to talk about the Netflix film 13, The Musical. That's coming up here on Now with Dave Brown. My name is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. My name is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave today. As I said earlier, one of the joys of filling in for him every two years or so, when I fill in, is speaking to some of my favorite people. And among those people, joining us from St. John's, Newfoundland, Kim Thistle. Hey, Andy, how's it going? Kim, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. How you doing? You're looking good. What's this thing going on? Is that a beard thing, you, is it? You mean the, the gray beard, my aging? Yes, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh... went <laughs> darker. One does what one has to do to uh, create outlines around round faces, you know, as one ages. Oh, you know, these are the kinds of things that one does. Uh, but, uh, Kim, it's great to see you again. And, uh, you know, I was just, uh, before we get into the film review, I was just uh, in uh, your neck of the woods this past summer. Um, and, uh, in fact, my wife and I spent a couple of glorious weeks touring around um, the Newfoundland. And, uh, uh, you know, yesterday... Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't look you up, but I did think of you. I did think of you um, as I drove uh, right around um, uh, Kitty Vitty and yes, yes. just looked up to my right suddenly, and there was a CNI building, the CNIB building where we met, I think it was five years yes. ago, four years ago, something like that. Yeah, that, yeah, and, yeah for sure. Yeah, and, um, and uh, the, also I got, I got a chance to um, to go to, to Gander uh, because... Uh, uh, you know, it's, it was on our way to Gross Morn as we we spent a little bit of time in the west part of the island as well. And, uh, of course, yesterday was 9-11. And uh, so Gander, of course, is now very much associated with that event and the whole come-from-away phenomenon of uh, of of, uh, yeah. of Gander from, from this time 21 years ago. It was uh, yeah. absolutely wonderful to see the, the town hall and some of the exhibits that they've put up there. Have you had a chance to take a look at that in, the, in that time, Kim? Have you had a I chance? Haven't, I haven't gone into the exhibit there. Now, I've seen the show come from away. Oh, have in, you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw it in Ontario, actually, and got to go behind stage. They only take Newfoundlanders behind stage. Do they? It was really, really cool. And they showed, <laughs> you know, this is where, you know, the X marked the spot where you're supposed to stand here. Could you, have you ever seen the play? The very oh, yes, I've seen the play. <laughs> I've seen the play twice, and uh, and the documentary about the play. I am completely in love with the play. Also, oh, you do love it. Yes, oh yeah. That. yeah. I yeah. mean, it was quite something. So I'm so glad you got to go to Gross Moor, and that must. Have, did you get up as far as Rocky Horror? Well, no, even further. Did you get up? You did get to Gross Moor, but did we you got, get up? We got to, to Gross Moor, and that's as, that's as far as we got. And we're going to go back one day and get up to the peninsula, and uh, yeah. and then cross over to Labrador and all that. But we uh, we went to Gross Moor and then came back over there. So. Uh, fantastic! We were treated like uh, like so well. It was and the weather was was terrific and all that. It's uh, Newfoundland. Anybody, ladies and gentlemen, if you're sitting on the fence and saying I, I want to go to Newfoundland, please go to yeah. Newfoundland, especially yeah. especially in the summer. It's just oh. it's a magnificent place. And Kim Thistle is there. <laughs> you contact me for some tips. I'll give you some travel. <laughs> all right. I'm a tourist in my own province, right? <laughs> so we talked about musicals. You have a passion for musicals, and sure enough, uh, today you're here to review the um, uh, 13, the musical on Netflix. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Kim? Okay, so this is um, adapted from the 2008 Broadway musical, and it's a cast mainly of young people, like they're, you know, puberty, pre-puberty, you know, that type of thing, 13 years old. Evan Goldman, his parents are divorced. He grew up in New York, and now his mom and parent, mom and dad are divorced, so he's moving to Indiana from a population of millions to, like, 2,800 people. So you're trying to navigate, you know, grow, you know the, the, the divorce, making new friends at a social, you know, you're just moved into town, plus his bar mister. Mister, he's a Jewish young fellow. He's and he's talking about his bar Mister, and apparently I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but apparently he calls it the, the this is the Super Bowl of the you know for the for the Jewish life. He says so. You really <laughs> gotta have a really really good bar Mister. So it's learning and making mistakes and and grappling and things like that. So you know it's a nice family movie. So I offer. 
the Super Bowl. I guess it is the Super Bowl when you reach 13 or whatever. I think the age is 12 or 13 for bar mitzvahs. And, yeah. yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, it is. And, and I've some of the things I've heard about some bar mitzvahs, it really, some of the prizes that go on, it's uh, it can be quite generous. It can be quite lucrative for the uh, for the lucky 13-year-old. Uh, anybody that we recognize in the cast or any anybody you want to spotlight? I think you would like we would know the older cast, obviously. You know, Deborah Messing from Oh yeah, Will and Grace. I really like her. She's the mom. Rhea, Rhea Perlman. Oh, you remember her from Cheers? Course, being the yeah. from Cheers. So she's the grandmother. Like she's you know toned down a bit, but it was so nice to see her. Eli Golden. He's a new fellow for me, but he plays Evan Goldman, and he's been in commercials and Orange the New Black. Gabriella Ewell, she's Patrice, the best friend. Like, I didn't know a lot of these young people, but they're very, very talented. And Frankie McNellis, and she's actually a, a quali- um, like a, a trained singer, dancer, and actress, and she sang at several Super Bowls. So oh, wow. there's a very strong cast. Like, when you look up on them, like, these are not your kids that just found down the street. These are kids who have been training their lives, you know, I don't singing know. and dancing. I don't, know. I don't know about you, Kim, but, you know, I, I'm finding that, the, the world that we live in, the social media world, the Instagram, TikTok world that we're in today, kids are just so much, it's just so much easier, I think, for kids to adjust to something like a project like Netflix or the, or the big screen or television because essentially they've been on camera their whole lives. Like they've been yeah. hamming it up for the camera and doing retakes and edits and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Uh, it's not like when we were kids and we saw, oh, there's a camera and there's somebody uh, rolling the little <laughs> spindle around here. <laughs> you know? But my my bestest bestest friend, her three oldest boys, she put them in musical. Like they they were performing since they were young, because they wanted to, not because she forced them, but they did act. I don't know, don't know acting, but they tried out for musicals and they did piano and voice and art and dance, you know. And they were, and that's where I guess part of it. I do love musical. You know what? The first musical I saw was in the theater, nineteen seventy eight, Greece. Oh I yeah. Loved it. I still love it. We go together. Like, I'm trying to sing. But I said, I still have that love of Greece, and I do love musicals. Yeah, I I love musicals too. And Greece, I'm so sad about Olivia Newton John passing away a bit. uh, prematurely with uh, breast cancer um let's uh let's talk about is was there any particular performance or did you just mention them any particular performance that stood out to you from this i really liked the young guy evan goldman i said i was watching it and saying oh yeah he's going places i mean i'm not a movie scout or anything but he was so good like he was so natural like all of them were very good but i have to say like he just like owned this the screen when he was on there and he just sang and danced and acted and I, I really thought he was wonderful. Like, I'd like to see more with him as he gets older. Let's talk about the audio description. That's always a really big, important part of these discussions that we have uh, with you and with Amy from time to yes. time. Uh, how did you find the audio description? You know what? Uh, in the beginning of the first five minutes, they said, you know, New York and whatever. And then, then they're gone dancing and singing and doing all this. And I said, but they're not telling us that ah. they're doing a synchronized dance. And then five minutes into it, then they start saying, okay, synchronized dance. And it was a hit and miss almost. I thought it was very wonky in a way. <laughs> like, there was times I was like, well, you didn't tell us that. And then they do a really good description when, you know, two guys lift up the girl and they do a backflip. Like, every now and then it's like they tell us what's happening, but the other time it was they're singing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I And I, I guess they're loath to 
interrupt those kinds of singing, I guess the singing or whatever, but, uh, you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's hard to know, like, who's the audio description police, right? Like, uh, like where's, where's the standards, especially, it's, especially in this uh, streaming world that we live in. But, uh, but overall, how do you rate this film, Kim? I would say, okay, for me, 8 out of 10, because I am a musical lover. I love the lyrics from the movie. Like, I mean, I thought they had little messages in it, like, you know, the mother and son singing. You find out what you're made of when you face what you're afraid of. And I thought they're like, like little cute <laughs> puns in there. But however, my friend, I told him I was watching the movie, and he said, I'll go watch it. And I said, oh, you're not going to like this movie. So he took that as a challenge. And all I really meant was, you are not going to like this movie. So he suffered. He said he watched it. He said they had no plot. He said, I didn't get anything of it. And if anything, it raised my sugar, blood sugar level. <laughs> it was too, too sweet and sappy. <laughs> so it is not for you sitting down with your partner to watch this movie on a date night. It's a family movie, pre-teens and like teenagers and, you know, like a nice you know, getting together as a family to watch it. Kim, it is lovely to see you. It is lovely to hear your voice again. Uh, let's uh, do this again soon. And thank you very much for dropping by to talk about the film review 13, the musical. It is on Netflix, correct? Yep. Yes, Netflix it is. And oh. like I said, it did describe video. Yeah. But a little bit. <laughs> That's... Have fun listening to the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just sure. Stay for the music. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. That's Kim Thistle, uh, our regular columnist from St. John's. Um, remember to, um, if you want to talk about what you just heard here, what you heard earlier in the show, or why am I even here? Where's Dave? Uh, write to us on AMI's Facebook page at Accessible Media Inc. or on Twitter at Accessible Media. You can also send us an email or a selfie video to feedback at AMI.ca. You can leave us a voicemail at one 509 4545. And of course, don't forget to give us permission to play your comments on the air if you do that. You're listening and watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. My name is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI TV. My name is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave today. It's Monday, September 12th. 2022. Wow, is it already September 12th? Wow. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Marco Flalo describes Google's new updates to Android. And we'll also have a little conversation about the um, etiquette of when you are a guest at someone's home for a day or two. What are some of the expectations? What are, you, what are you supposed to bring? How are you supposed to behave? What's the appropriate time to leave? All those kinds of things. We'll have a little group discussion with um, Alex Smythe and Ramya Muthan, Nisreen Abdel-Majid, myself. See where that goes. It should be interesting, actually, because everybody's a little bit different as to what those expectations are. First up, let's take a look at some regional news from across Canada. Beginning in British Columbia, B.C. Finance Minister Selena Robinson is set to provide an economic update today as she unveils the province's three-year fiscal plan. Her ministry has said a report on revenue and spending in the first quarter will be included in the presentation. Premier John Horgan announced several support measures last week, saying the government will tackle rising costs of food, fuel and other necessities with a series of targeted initiatives like tax credits, 
and family benefits worth $600 million. He also promised a cap on rent hikes at 2% and said as of next month, about 85% of BC residents will benefit from an increase in the climate action tax payment estimated to be worth about $1,500 a year for a family of four. To the prairies, RCMP in Saskatchewan are warning people to be on the lookout for a suspect in incidents in the Cumberland House area, who they say is armed and dangerous. Police say Kurt Bloomfield faces charges including assault, unlawful confinement, possession of a firearm while prohibited, and taking a motor vehicle without consent. Bloomfield is also wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for parole violation. Police say Bloomfield has ties to Nipawan and Saskatoon, and vehicle registered and vehicle investigators believe he may be associated with him. I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat that line again. Police say Bloomfield has ties to Nipawan and Saskatoon, and a vehicle investigators believe he may be associated with him was located yesterday in Birch Hills. He is described as being approximately five foot eight inches tall and weighing about 150 pounds, with red hair and blue eyes, and the word Bloomfield tattooed across his chest. Quebec's political leaders are nearing the midway point of their 36-day election campaign. Coalition Avenida Quebec leader François Legault is in the Montreal area today, hoping to add a pair of ridings come October 3rd. Liberal leader Dominique Anglade will be in Laval for an announcement this morning, while the Conservative Party of Quebec will campaign in the Quebec City area. Quebec Solidaire spokesman Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois and Parti Québécois are both in the Abitibi region. To Ontario, an Ontario court is set to hear arguments tomorrow in a lawsuit launched by seven youth activists who allege the provincial government has set greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets dangerously low. They argue the target, reducing emissions 30% below 2005 levels by 2030, violates the sections of the Charter on Life and Security of the Person as well as discrimination based on age. One of the young people, Zoe Kiri Matzner, says it's inexcusable that Ontario is weakening targets. In all my 15 years, I don't remember a time when I wasn't deeply concerned about climate change and the fate of the world. I only wish my government felt the same. The previous government had set a target of reducing emissions 37% below 1990 levels by 2030. And groups representing thousands of public sector employees will go up against the Ontario government in court starting today over a contentious law that has capped wages for workers. The case is set to be heard in Toronto over 10 days. The labour groups are challenging the constitutionality of Bill 124. The law, passed in 2019, limits wage increases at 1% per year for public sector workers. The provisions of the bill were to be in effect for three years as new contracts were negotiated. Doug Ford's Tory government said the law was a time-limited approach to help eliminate the deficit. But nurses, teachers and Ontario public service workers consider the approach unfair and a violation of charter rights that protect meaning full collective bargaining. They're hoping the court will agree and deem it unconstitutional. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And finally, in Atlantic Canada, public health care advocates are inviting Liberal MPs attending the Federal Governing Party's caucus retreat today in St. Andrews, New Brunswick, to meet them to hear their concerns. The Canadian Health Coalition is being joined by Steve Drost, president of CUPE New Brunswick, and several frontline health care workers in the call for the meeting. 
The advocacy group says it is concerned about the threats posed to the public health care system by human health resources crisis and plans some provincial governments plans by some provincial governments for increased reliance on for-profit health care providers. It also wants action on public dental care and universal pharma care, as well as investments in primary care and safer long-term care. And that's your look at regional news here on Now with Dave Brown. My name again is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave today. Dave will be back tomorrow. And now I think it's time for a sports chat. My old friend, Brock Richardson. There he is, live from somewhere in Waterloo. How you doing, Brock? I'm doing well. I, I have to say, before we start chatting sports, when I heard from that girl in all my years of 15 years of life about climate change i was sitting here and thinking wow i'm double that age this is not good for me and and my future so just yeah young yeah, people well, but it is good that think? young people are on top of climate change <laughs> yes it is good and uh well it reminds me a little bit of uh, greta thunberg when she uh, emerged on the scene and um people listen people listen i mean this is this is the generation your generation and younger is the generation that is most impacted by uh, the uh, actions of uh, my generation. But anyway, we digress. Uh, We talk about climate change and some of the things we boomers have done to make your lives miserable. But we can talk about sports. That's the other thing I prefer. Let's talk about about the under-23 wheelchair basketball tournament, Brock. You have an update for us. I do have an update, and I keep coming on this program every other morning, and I hope that there's a win in site for Canada, and unfortunately not. Canada was defeated by Japan, 69-38. This is their third consecutive loss. They are um, winless. They take on Turkey tomorrow. And I will be so excited that I no longer have to get up at like 12.30 in the morning to see what those games are like. It's been quite a task, but uh, I hope... Canada does win their last game. I do not know if there's any kind of uh, relegation or placing game. Uh, it's not clear on the Wheelchair Basketball Canada website what the deal is. They only have the uh, round robin posted thus far. So do go to wheelchairbasketballcanada.ca for updated schedules. But that is up to date with that tournament thus far. I have three letters for you, Brock. P-V-R. It works. Except, except it's online. So, oh, so there's there's no uh, PVR okay. allowed. We're, we're going to yeah. have to talk to Marco Flalo about figuring out some way that you can PVR something online and have the same benefit. Yes. Because we don't want you to lose sleep. What you do here is very very critical. So uh, you know, let's talk about the U.S. Open in uh, in beautiful New York City. Uh, we uh, we had of course a couple of new champions. Yes, so we had Poli- Poland's Iggy Swantak wins her third Grand Slam at the ripe old age of 21. I was not winning any kind of champion at the age of 21. I was doing more losing than winning back then. So uh, that's cool for her. And it's her third Grand Slam. So that's very cool. And she defeated Owns Jasper in her game there. If we switch over to the men, Spain, uh, Carlos Alcaraz wins on the men's side over Casper Rude. So very cool results for people that have yet to win the championship. Iga's quite something. She's won a few majors now. So uh, this is uh, she's the real deal. And uh, 
Good for her. She played extremely well and frustrated Ons Jabur a lot on uh, on Saturday. But I think uh, there's a great future for both those tennis players uh, on the circuit. Let's talk a little bit about the um, about uh, something you want to see changed in tennis, Brock. What is what has gotten under your skin about watching tennis on TV? So, so one of the most frustrating things I watch is umpires. Two things. One, they always say ready to play, and then when the audience is getting rowdy, they go please, which which or thank you, which uh, it tells them to basically be quiet and yes. settle. But the other thing that bothers me about this is that there's a bunch of people moving around uh, during points. And in my mind, Andy, the usher's job is to do what? To make sure that their section is sitting and, you know, quiet and happy. And I just think I'm watching people walk past ushers as they're going to their seats in the middle of a point. It's like, really do what you do at a hockey game. Don't allow people to go there and I think that's what they're supposed to do but they don't and so that really needs to change because it can be distracting as you're chasing a ball that's coming at you in hundreds of miles per hour and they're being distracted so it's frustrating so the uh, tennis world needs to get a hold of their ushers and say listen basically do your job please Beer sales, Uber Alice that's uh, the theme of most sporting venues and I don't think tennis is immune to that Get those people to the concession stands as much as possible. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Brock, we only have a couple of minutes left to um, to talk about uh, the Canadian Football League. Uh, why don't you give me a little bit of a summary of how you see the Canadian Football League at this um, at this juncture? Where are we at? We're we're about we're about a little more than the halfway mark at this point, Brock. Yeah, getting close to the three quarters uh, mark. Two things I'll say is that. Toronto seems to be, and I have it in quotes here, the class of the East at seven and five, which seems really ridiculous. But anyway, that's what we are. We need to see more consistency from someone like McLeod Bethel Thompson. Uh, They've been been worse, Brock. They've been worse. I know, but a team leading the East at seven and five, when I'm about to tell tell you that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are leading with a record of, wait for it, 12 and 1. Uh, that's a bit of a drastic uh, difference. And I just, it's, it's weird watching the East. And I've been telling Dave this for a few weeks now. I think BC is in some trouble with the injury to Nathan Rourke. I think they were going to be at least atop the uh, West. And now they're kind of slipping. And I think that's based on the injury to Mr. Rourke. Well, it should be interesting to see how um, how things uh, wind down in the CFL as we head toward the, the playoff time and the colder weather that accompanies that. That's the way. I, that's what I always think about with the CFL as their season winds up. It's time to go into the into the closet and start pulling out some of the warmer gear. Um, but uh, Brock, let's have a really quick uh, recap of uh, the NFL before you go. Uh, well, the uh, Buccaneers are off to where they left off. Um, Julio Jones seems to be uh, Brady's new favorite friend in replace of Rob Gronkowski as they won 19-3 last night. So the NFL is off and running with some great matchups, but I will continue this conversation this afternoon on Kelly and Company and then tomorrow on the Neutral Zone when it comes out. And that's very important what you just mentioned about the Neutral Zone. The Neutral Zone is going to be out in audio tomorrow and also... 
is going to be making its debut on the video platform of YouTube so that we can see not only your lovely face, but the face of all of your panel. And uh, that will be a weekly feature. 52 minutes of you guys talking about para and pro sports every single week. And uh, then with transcripts and captions and all those other accessibility bells and whistles, I really look forward to seeing that, Brock. Congratulations on launching that. That's going to be beginning this week. The neutral zone. Yes. On not Looking only AMI audio, but also on your favorite YouTube channel, as well as all your audio uh, podcast platforms that you've been used to consuming that great content on. Thank you very much, Brock, for joining us. Thank you. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, am, am I good to go to break now, Eliza? Is that. Uh, we're going to do weather. That's why I rely on you, Eliza Rocco. I don't do this very often. You know, forgive me. Alex Smythe is standing by in uh, beautiful Burlington, Ontario, and he's got your national weather forecast. Always forgiven, Andy. And uh, here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Ganda. So we're going to start in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, and it's mainly sunny and a high of 22. In Charlottetown, PEI. Uh, it is mainly sunny as well, and a high of 24. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's a mix of sun and cloud, and a high of 25. In Quebec City, Quebec, scattered showers this morning, but it's clearing later with a high of 25 as well. In Toronto, Ontario, it's a 40% chance of showers starting this morning, with the risk of thunderstorms in the afternoon, and a high of 22. In Sault Ste. Marie, same thing, showers, and with the risk of thunderstorms this afternoon, and up to 10 millimeters is expected there, with a high of 19. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny, turning to a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, with a high of 28. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's sunny and hazy, and it also has wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, this time with a high of 26. In Lethbridge, Alberta, there's widespread smoke with an air quality alert in effect warning of poor visibility and breathing conditions and there's a high of 24. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny and hazy which will become a mix of sun and cloud near noon with a high of 22. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly sunny and a high of 15. In Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy with widespread smoke in the area and a 30% chance of showers later this afternoon. A special air quality report is also in effect in the area, and there's a high of 23. Finally, in BC, in Vancouver, BC, sorry, uh, it's mainly sunny and hazy with a high of 21, and they also have the special air quality statement in effect. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. And of course, uh, we'll see Alex in a few minutes' time here uh, on Now with Dave Brown with me, Andy Frank, filling in for him today. But coming up after this break, Marco Flalo describes Google's new updates to Android. You want to stick around for that? Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown here on AMI-tv, filling in for Dave today. My name is Andy Frank. Dave will be back tomorrow, I promise. 
gives me great pleasure at this moment to uh, bring on a columnist, contributor, and so much more, a real pillar of everything we do at AMI, TV and audio, Mr. Mark Aflalo, who's been with us since day one. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. Are you, Mr. Frank? I'm doing very well. It's not like we don't, you know, talk enough off the air. <laughs> now we this is to... just another opportunity. Come on, it's Monday morning. Why wouldn't we talk now? <laughs> we get to talk on the air. So uh, we'll uh, we'll discuss a little bit about uh, what you're here to discuss, and then uh, who knows where the conversation will go after <laughs> that. But, uh, Mark, right now there's a bunch of changes happening. Google's announced some changes uh, to users that will help uh, help people to share files more easily between Android devices. But can you just, first of all, just reframe what I just said in more uh, friend, <laughs> more friendly language? Well, for those people who are iPhone users, which, uh, you know, and a lot of people who listen to, to this show and watch this show, uh, tend to be really lean towards uh, the iPhone, uh, minus Dave Brown, of course. Uh, <laughs> they've used to things called uh, AirDrop. AirDrop is a feature that allows you to see devices that are around you and share files with those people. Really quick and easy way to do it so you don't have to worry about texting or iMessaging or whatever or sending emails. You can just literally send photos and files to people. Well, Android has been kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to having a feature like that until now. So what's happening is that they're rolling out Android 13, their latest generation of their operating system. And one of the new features is called the self-share feature. It gives Android devices the opportunity to accept files from each other, but also even if the screen is off. So you can actually approve certain users to be able to send you stuff, and you don't even have to hit that accept button. So they're taking things a little bit further than Apple did in their variation of AirDrop, and they're making it really easy for you to send stuff back and forth. This works not only between you and other people and other friends and family that might be near you, but also amongst your own devices. So if you've got, a, for example, a tablet or a computer and you want to send files to your phone, you can do that pretty easily. It's also going to be a feature that's going to be enabled on Chromebooks as well. So really, it's going to be something that's going to work across the Android operating systems. So everybody will just have to have the latest version of that Android system. Exactly. Any device using Android 13 will be able to use the feature. And, of course, the way they release their operating system is very similar to every other company, is that Android 13 will only work on certain devices and later. So it goes back pretty far. It goes back about four or five years. So as long as you've got one of those devices, notice that I'm not specifying which devices because there are millions of Android devices yeah. out there. Uh, whereas on the iOS world, I could tell you like iPhone 14 and whatever. Uh, but yeah, so any any device with Android 13 will be able to use this feature. But we still can't drop from an iPhone to this Android platform. You're asking for such miracles, Andy. This is a this is a world in which <laughs> yes. the world will never then coexist. Maybe in our lifetime, I who think, knows? I think that would it. push the Queen and King Charles off the front pages if that if that existed. Can right? you imagine? You I, know? Yeah, I think that would. Uh, I don't know what would happen. The whole tech world would go be in a frenzy. Apple be. and Android works together. Oh no! <laughs> How can that possible? I still have to then send emails to Dave Brown with my photos. I can't just airdrop them. Because because he refuses to change to iPhones, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've um, I've encountered people who res- who are reluctant to use like the AirDrop, um, even you know among iPhone like this. Some people are a bit nervous about act- you know, like keeping that on their phones, worrying that people will somehow drop things on there that they don't want to have dropped on their phones. Is that a legitimate concern? I mean, it's a legitimate argument in terms of you know trusting what information and what kind of files are being sent to you. That being said, on an iPhone, you still have to accept that. So you can't just arbitrarily say everybody can just send files and they'll be accepted automatically. So there is that fail-safe, which I think is extremely important. But the other thing to remember is that on on Apple and and iPhones and that entire ecosystem, 
it's very difficult to get any kind of malware or virus or anything that's going to damage your device. I'm not saying it's impossible because there are ways to do it that if people really want to, they could probably figure it out. But it's really, really hard to do. So I wouldn't, you know, I would take it with a grain of salt and I would, you know, make sure you're, you're accepting things from people that you trust. And if anything looks nefarious, just obviously just to stay away from it. If your gut says don't, then don't. And the same principle applies to the new Android feature. Absolutely. I mean, across the board, this is applies to emails that you may get on a yeah. daily basis. If there's an attachment to something and you're not expecting that attachment, don't hit that. I mean, how many times do I get notifications? Oh, bank payment notifications. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't come in a Word document attached <laughs> to an email from RBQ Royal Bank, you know? RBQ. <laughs> <laughs> Google also announced some improvements to accessibility settings. And what are they and how do they work? So a couple of cool ones here, the sound notifications that are designed to help people in the deaf and hard of hearing community. When the feature is enabled, it listens for sounds in the environment, things like fire alarms, door knocks, uh, running water, and it'll alert the user to those sounds and things that might be going on with a visual cue or even a vibration on the phone or watch. So if you forget the water on or someone's knocking at the door, it'll actually recognize those features, which is pretty cool. Uh -huh. Plus, users are going to be able to add custom sounds to their alert library, so you'll be able to record audio, for example, from a specific appliance. If you've got an appliance that's not detected, but you want to be able to detect it, you can say, okay, record on my LG dishwasher, and when you hear this again, notify me, which is pretty cool. Um, other features are, you know, across the board, Google TV. It now has a selection of movies with audio description, which it didn't have before, which is, you know, again, catching up to the rest of the world. Um, and you can actually find those with, with Google Assistant, which is a new feature, by saying search audio description movies. And it's going to give you a list of movies just with audio description. So that's going to be extremely helpful. Plus, they're adding a multi-pinning option to the Meet video calls. So this is their, you know, Zoom-style conversation app or video chatting tool. It's going to enable you to pin feeds. So, for example, let's say someone has an interpreter or a sign language interpreter, someone on the screen, you could pin not only the interpreter, but someone else so that it's always in the forefront. So those are pretty cool additions to uh, Android 13. They really do sound cool. And by the way, folks, uh, Mark Aflalo is the kind of guy who would record his dishwasher. He really, he really is. I know that. Yeah, my wife is the kind of person that would record my snoring and then create <laughs> alerts so she can count how many times I, it happens. I was not going to go there. <laughs> Do we know when these changes are going to take place? They're rolling out right now. They're actually, Android 13 is rolling out slowly. It does it kind of, uh, there's no real schedule. Every device manufacturer has their own kind of baked version of Android 13. So as they roll out, as they upgrade the devices, you'll be able to see those features and take advantage of them. Our contributor right now is Marco Flalo. Of course, he is the co-host of Double Tap TV, and you can find Double Tap TV on AMI-TV Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Is also, of course, part of the bigger Double Tap family on the audio channel as well. Uh, let's uh, switch uh, subjects a little bit. Uh, telecom providers are signing a deal for emergency calls um, and uh, roaming and mutual assistance. This, of course, relates a little bit, I think, to that massive <laughs> Rogers outage that we had across Canada a little yeah. while back. So uh, tell us a story. This is more of a direct relation to that. Um, it's called emergency roaming and mutual assistance. Those are the terms they're using. And basically, it's a, a protocol that all the telecom companies in the country are going to be following and, and, and agreeing to. Effective uh, a couple days ago, September 9th, if any providers part of the agreement, face any network outage, they're going to immediately allow other companies to provide support. So if something goes down, you'll immediately be able to roam onto other carriers with your own phone number and everything kind of status quo. You're still going to have to do a little manual change depending on the device you have, but you will at least have, there will be a backup plan across the board. 
That's almost akin to what we were talking about with Apple and Android. I mean, they're... So what you're saying is that Bell would support Rogers over, and Rogers would support Bell? Is that what you're saying? Hell froze over. No, it actually happened. But you know what? It it takes an event like an outage that Rogers experienced. And quite honestly, if I was Rogers or any other company that saw that happen and go, okay, this could have been us, uh, you'd want to make sure that you're at least delivering to your customers. You may not be happy about it. And the way the way that you're going to do it may not be the most pleasant way for you having to you know deal with your, your most, you know, rivaled competitors but at the end of the day without the customers you're not going to have a business you're not going to be able to maintain a float so you have to at some point say okay this is in the consumer's best interest we cannot argue this point proof is in the pudding it happened a month ago let's figure out a way to play ball at least in this in this you know in this framework who knows what's happening behind the scenes how much money has to go back and forth when someone roams but at least as a consumer we're absolutely the winners in this case. Yes, 100%. Is, yeah. they, they must have modeled this from some, somewhere else in the world because Canada's not alone to having these types of uh, you would think, vulnerabilities. You, you would think in the EU there are similar arrangements and, and relationships because a lot of there's a lot of kind of nef, not nefarious stuff, but there's a lot of incest going on between the telecoms. People yeah. you know, partner with different ones for different things, and it's a lot easier to switch back and forth. So there is there is a precedent there in the EU. Um, so we're, it, this isn't reinventing the wheel. This is really just saying, okay, guys, we, you can roam on other carriers when you leave the country. Let's let's enable that feature in our own country so that when people are down, we're not leaving them you know, in the middle of nowhere, literally. I, can, I, I was thinking when that happened, that would, that would be a really good idea for them to actually sign some kind of a cooperation agreement. But then I started thinking about the impact on the infrastructure. Let's say you're Bell and you have to absorb all of that Rogers uh, traffic. Are, are they able to do that? Is, are they set to be able to suddenly double their, their, their workload? Because it's not going to be an automatic just kind of everybody flip on at the same time, you're still going to have to go into your phone settings and switch your band. Um, it's it's still it's going to be a trickle effect. It's going to be people. Uh, it's going to be large amounts of people uh, at a, as a as a whole, but it's not going to be all at once. Suddenly, everybody's on the network. So I think that as long as the fail safes are in place to or the mechanisms are in place to let people kind of get on slowly, as long as at the, at the end of the day where we have service and we can maintain what we need to, we'll be fine and they'll be fine. They've got the capacity to handle it. Listen, they want to. The the infrastructures are normally in place to handle three to four times the existing load currently. So they'll be able to handle it, and especially for spreading the, the love across the different telecom providers. Mark, if anybody spreads love, it's you. Oh, thank you. And great information. <laughs> if anybody missed all that, there was a ton of stuff in that content. You know, Of course, you can always podcast this particular show and podcast this particular segment. Marco Flalo is a co-host of Double Tap TV, a big part of the Double Tap family, and so much more that we do behind the scenes at AMI-tv and AMI-audio. Mark Flalo, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's, I think we're going to switch over to tech trends, aren't we? All right. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm just going to quickly get my, uh, my, my script out over here. Remember, this is not my day job. Uh, uh, I had it. Oh, here it is. <laughs> uh, all right. Regroup. General Motors is expanding its line of electric vehicles with a new crossover. Here is reporter Dave Packer with Tech Trends.
Thanks for coming and checking out our new Equinox EV. Around $30,000. That's the price Chevrolet is targeting for its new Equinox EV. We have um, two different size batteries with two different types of propulsion. And we have a front-wheel drive and an all-wheel drive, and we have a small and a large battery. Matt Purdy is the chief engineer of the midsize SUV. He says bigger battery models will be capable of up to 300 miles of range in certain configurations. As for charging... When you're on a DC fast charger, we have 150 kilowatt capability, which is around 70 miles in just under 10 minutes of added range. And he says the EV can also act as a generator, sending power back out. So we have the capability to offload three kilowatts of power at a time if you want to go glamping. You know, run a camping stove, run a refrigerator, run a power saw, whatever you want to do. We have that capability to to do as well. With Tech Trends, I'm Dave Packer, ABC News. And welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on Monday, September 12th, 2022. My name is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave. He will be back tomorrow. But so many of the familiar voices that, you know, you've all been listening to for years and years now on this show are going to be joining me in the next segment. I think I'll introduce them first. Why don't I start with Alex Smythe? Alex, welcome back. Thank you, Andy. And then we're going to switch over to Ramya Amuthan, who is the co-host of Kelly and Company and the host of AMI Audio Book Review on AMI Audio, a delightful little show, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't had the chance to hear that show and you like audiobooks, it's on every week, new episodes every week. Rami Amuthan, also available as a podcast. Hi, Rami. Hey, Andy. And Nisreen Abdelmajid, she is uh, she does so much behind the scenes, a little bit on camera as well, and a lot on the air. You'll hear her on Podcast Roundup on AMI Audio. You'll hear her on the audiobook review show. Uh, she is the technical producer of the Globe and Mail show in the morning and, uh, of course, here on the Now Show. Hi, Nisreen. Hi, I'm everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, all the time. <laughs> That's what you are. Yeah. All right, we're going to get into a little bit of a conversation about etiquette and about, um, uh, you know, crashing people's places and people's cr- crashing at your place and other such things. But before we do, I do want to do a little bit of a, a daily poll survey with you guys, Okay. So the question is, uh, and this is this is for uh, Nisreen and uh, Ramya, because uh, Alex, I believe you weighed in on this earlier. Um, will you be watching the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II next Monday? So that's a week from today. It begins at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. The options are, yes, I will watch it live. I will watch highlights or, nah, won't watch. Let's start with Nisreen. I'm going to watch the highlights. Of course, it's going to come up on my social media, but I'll be popping in on the highlights. Ramya? That's good enough for me. I'll watch um, maybe some of it live because I don't want to say no. Uh, but yeah, mostly highlights. <laughs> Just because you don't want to say no. <laughs> Just because I don't want to say no. It seems really disrespectful to say no outright. Yeah. But yes, most likely going to be the highlights. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex, remind us of what you said earlier. Uh, yeah, I, I said the uh, highlights definitely just because, you know, watching the news and social media, it's going to come up somewhere. I'm probably going to catch exactly. it. Exactly. I will watch every last minute. 
All right. Really? You're yes. going to put on an alarm and wake up and I don't, watch it? Wow. I don't want to, but I get sucked in. I do. I get drawn oh, I in by these things. And, you know, there's, I, I'm a bit of a sentimental much. You guys know that about me. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Alex's subject. Alex, why don't you bring it up? Uh, let's, uh, why don't you present the subject? And then uh, everybody gets a chance to weigh in on it. Alex, take it from here. Sure. So this past weekend, I went and uh, stayed overnight at uh, one of my best friend's place. And in doing so, it kind of uh, started to uh, build the idea in my mind, like, what is the etiquette now for when you go and stay at a friend's house or a family member's house? Like, do you kind of make sure, are you helping to clean up? Are you helping to cook? Are you helping to get things ready if there's a party happening? So this is one uh, uh, one thing I wanted to present to uh, the, the round table for, for a discussion. Because for me, I'm always very sensitive and aware about these things. I'm always trying to, okay, if there's uh, a meal, I want to help out, help make something, or I want to help clean out after. I want to, after I, I spend a night and sleep over, I want to fold up the sheets or, or the towels or anything used and make it easy for them to clean up when I'm gone. So what do you guys think? I'll, I'll start with uh, Nisreen. What's your etiquette or, or your mentality when you are staying over at a friend's house or a family member's place? So I'm the type of person that does clean up after themselves, even like make the bed, you know, um, I always kind of give the option, okay, should I do the dishes after I clean up? Uh, do I do the table? I'm, I like it the way I want it to be. So if I, if I want to, if I want a person to stay over at my place and, you know, give me the option of helping out, you know, be that it's just the proper etiquette for me. Um, so I would do the same as well. Ramia, what about you? Yeah, similar to you, Nisreen, like basically what I would appreciate if someone was doing, if they stayed over at my place is kind of what I go, uh, based on. So that means helping wash dishes. Cause I hate washing dishes at my own place. So <laughs> I love it when my friends are around to help with that. Um, I barely make my bed at my house, so I'll probably not make the bed, but you know what? It, I would. I would because it seems like the respectful thing to do. And then, of course, bringing something to contribute, right? So if we're drinking, then probably a bottle of wine. Or if we're um, eating, then make it more, you know, bring the apps or bring the desserts. But definitely... I haven't done any kind of formal stay over at anyone's house in a really long time for obvious reasons, COVID, but the informal, like you're hanging out at friends' house and then you just crash that kind of thing. Um, I always contribute and I have friends who contribute a lot when they come to my house, like go through the cupboards, go into the fridge, do what you want. Um, that's the, the way that I host things here. So it's, I don't really go into other people's cupboards, but I do help out. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring that up, the covers part, because I think that's a bit awkward for me. There's a certain line where you cross. If you're like a best friend and you're practically siblings at this point, go through my stuff. I don't care. But when it's just, you know, a friend coming over, because I had this done before (laughs) and I just feel like it's just weird to me. And I pay attention to these details where they actually go through my cupboards and they're like, oh, you don't have this. You don't have that. I'm like... Mm. Uh, that's interesting. I would never do that. Even going, so do you going host through the formally? fridge. This I do. Is, this is my question then. Do you host formally? Because I don't. I'm just like, hey, if you want something, go get it. 
<laughs> so yeah, that's where that I, comes from. You know what? I would say the same thing, but at the same time, I want that question. Like, just ask me okay. first before you do it. Because even it. for me, I'm like, okay, can I just grab some water from the fridge? Be like, okay, yeah, go for it. I just want the same thing back. You know, I would. Yeah. It's. It did. I, I think it just depends. Yeah. yeah, it just depends on how close you are. But yeah. That that friendship line has to be at a certain level. It's like okay, Absolutely. you can you can dig through my stuff. But uh, Angie, what about you? Do you have a specific level of etiquette? Are you like everyone else, where it's like you try to be a good host so you can and uh, guest so you can get invited back again? Yeah, I think, and usually, the, you know, Helen and I do these things usually as couples, and um, Helen is uh, wonderful when it comes to the, if we're guests, she's wonderful with the, I'll strip your bread, your your bed, and you know, I'll put new sheets on it, all like to that wow. ex- to that extent. Wow. Uh, and I'm the one who uh, who usually brings in way too much wine, <laughs> which so might. The, the- yeah, the sense I'm getting is basically I need to invite all three of you over because you're going to clean up, you're going to bring a bunch of wine, yeah. and you're going to help prepare everything. So but, it's going to make it easy. But they might go through your cupboard, your your closets, and I mean, you know, watch your medicine cabinet. Closets, I mean, you know, unless you have snacks in there. <laughs> the snacks, <laughs> the snacks. So, so when you have people over, like, what what do you hope that your guests do? Are you do you want them to kind of treat the space as their own and feel? comfortable i i know this when you mentioned like you you want that that prompting first that question of like eh, mm-hmm. can i do this so uh, uh i'll throw it out so i'll start with you rami i expand a bit more because you say you don't really have those formal stayovers but if you did like what would what would you want your guests to do yeah man i'm really easygoing you know uh hack the spotify Go to, into my fridge, go into my snack cupboards, bring whatever you want, do whatever you want. The only thing that I ask is that you please, please put your glasses back in the kitchen on the countertop or in the sink because that is a blindness thing. Like, I don't want to be sweeping my hands around the windowsill and then crash, and it's all happened before. So um, that's the the one thing is having a lot of guests over means that people kind of leave things wherever. Now, as an adult, I find that this happens less and less, but uh, as a teenager it was happening a lot and the cleanup seemed you know to go on forever I'd be finding glasses in my bedroom you know 10 days later that kind of thing so I prefer that this kind of thing like just leaving uh, having a cleanup area or having an etiquette for where we put things when we're done with them dishes cups cutlery um garbage yeah so that's what I'm a stickler for yeah because I always would try to set up if it was let's say we're having like a get together outside or whatever i would try to always identify you know okay this is where the recycling is this is where the garbage is if you got empty just stick it over in this area or on this counter because i'm i'm very much uh like you ramia where it's like i've had many times where it's just oh i'm just gonna move my arm here oh there's there's a clear bottle and now there's a bunch of broken glass mm-hmm. i gotta try to clean up so um having that where it's like okay you're you're slightly cleaning up but you're not getting them to do a lot. It's just a simple thing here. Okay, now I know where it is. I can clean it up. Take care of it later. Uh, Andy, what about you? When when you get you're hosting family members, friends, what are you hoping that they're doing when they're staying over? 
You know, I, I've never even thought of it in those terms, and, I'm, and I think it's something we should think about. Um, I, you know, it's almost like we should send a little waiver when we send the email to just confirm them. You know, if you're going to come over, here, here's what's expected. Um, Guidelines. <laughs> but generally, <laughs> generally, I, uh, I just want, I just want to be able, I just want them to uh, just have the general respect of their of the space that they're in. Um, that uh, you know, and I, I, they, they always do. Like it's never been an issue. It's like a, there's, there's a certain understanding that um, that there's certain areas and things that are private. So sort of like the conversations you'll have around the dining room table or something. There's certain areas that are uh, a little less, uh, you know, a little taboo if you're not super, super close or you know, blood family or whatever. Uh, and the same when it comes to the behavior around the around the place. But I also will sometimes uh, in you know in 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 the invitation make sure you know that they're happy with the dog and that they're okay with the beds and the arrangements and you know I'll kind of make sure that they're good and mm-hmm. it's but it's it is a it is a, a a subtle language that goes on. But there is a conversation that definitely there's a conversation that takes place before this happens, uh, so that so that we're both comfortable. Uh, going into this exactly you got to set out those expectations to make it clear it's like okay well this is where you're going to be staying this is what the plan is the situation i understand we have a dog so you're going to have to uh be okay with that so that way it's like they can make the they're they're not surprised when they walk through the door it's like oh well i didn't know anything about this yeah 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 we're we're very aware of that Uh, and 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 we kind of hope that it goes the other way the one alex that, that has happened to me more times than i care to remember uh, and this is pre-pandemic and maybe a number of years ago now, was being invited to someone, you know, someone's house for dinner, like another couple like us, and then finding out there's two other couples there when we arrive that we don't even know. Like, who, oh, yes. who are you? How did <laughs> how did you get here? What are we going to talk about? What? That, to me, is is the one that really throws us both off. Like, we get extremely self-conscious at that point. Like, oh, wow. Mm. Then there's the whole measurement of social status and... Uh, and all those other things that come into those things that have to be resolved, and that's that's why I usually pack a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it makes it a lot easier. Absolutely, it makes it a lot easier. Nisreen, what about you? Uh, you haven't had a chance to weigh on this one. Like, what do you hope for uh, for guests to come to you? And and do you have any awkward situations, stories, or or things that you can't stand when it comes to staying over or having people come over? I just want you to feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable, I won't feel comfortable. And that just makes everything so awkward. And I've had that happen before, um, quite recently, actually. (laughs) And it was, um, you know, uh, this person just invited themselves and it was just like, okay, cool. But uh, they didn't feel, they were just, they weren't very comfortable. conversational and they weren't cleaning after themselves and everything like that. And that just kind of bothers me. I don't want you to get up. I want you to feel comfortable, but I kind of want that, um, you know, a question to be like, okay, do you need help? Also the pet thing. I'm so glad Andy, you brought that up. If you don't feel comfortable around my parrot and my ducks, I, I don't think you should come <laughs> over. I don't think you should come over. I'm not going to put them in a separate room because you don't feel comfortable, you know? <laughs> My I, ducks are I, an important thing. I, I, I don't know if I've ever been to uh, somebody's house where ducks were roaming around the inside. I would have to go online and do some research. Yeah. Yeah. How to be? Come how over, to, Andy. How to behave around Nisreen's ducks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nisreen, you quack me up. You really do. And uh, 
uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, Alex, uh, thank you very much for bringing this topic to the table. And uh, it was a fun conversation. But uh, we're going to move on to, uh, to, to our dear friend, Ramya, who is going to give us a bit of a teaser into what's happening on Kelly and Company this afternoon at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. And repeating, of course, every eight hours, as most programs do on AMI-audio, around the clock. What do you got, Rumi? Well, Andy, you have a busy day because you're going to be joining us, telling us uh, all of that stuff that's going on with AMI-audio, new schedules, new podcasts, new video podcasts, all the above. Uh, Plus, community reporter Kim Kilpatrick is highlighting upcoming Ottawa municipal election days and as well accessible voting options for everyone who lives in the area. And on Know Your Rights, this is going to be an interesting conversation with Danielle McLaughlin. She's taking us back to school. She's sharing strange school rules from around the world that still and do act actually exist. Wow. Mm-hmm. Danielle brings the most incredible topics to that segment, yeah. Ramya. I mean, yeah. it's never, never without controversy and <laughs> always really well presented. And, you know, both sides of the issues are well presented and uh, fantastic segment Danielle brings. I look forward to speaking with you guys this afternoon on Kellen Company. I know. I'll, I promise I'll go away back into my, my office and my PowerPoints and my spreadsheets uh, after today. And, uh, and oh, we love these moments. Okay, all right. When you come out. All right. Yeah. <laughs> come out to play. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's Ramya. I'm with, an, of course, the co-host of Kelly and Company. And remember, AMI Audiobook Review every week on AMI Audio. Ramya's fantastic hosting that as well. Coming up next, I'm going to give you the Accessibility Story Roundup here on Now with Dave Brown, with me today, Andy Frank, on AMI-tv. Back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. My name is Andy Frank, filling in for Dave today. He will be back tomorrow. Well, at this time, we like to do, from time to time, the Accessibility Story Roundup. So uh, do we still have a stinger for that, guys, on the, on the, on the TV Oh, here we go. That's right. And this is where Dave does his yeehaw, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> But it's uh, it's it's uh, these stories are stories that we come across in the mainstream media, and uh, this example here is a story coming from Catherine DeClerc from CTV News. It goes back to September the sixth. Five Ontario MPPs say they will live on a social assistance diet for two weeks in an effort to show that a five percent increase to Ontario Disability Support Program (ODSP) is not enough. The MPPs, who are all members of the New Democratic Party, say that from September 6th through September 19th, that being next Monday, they will only spend $95.21 on groceries, an average of $47.60 per week. They say this is an approximate two-week grocery budget for an individual on ODSP or on Ontario Works. As part of his re-election campaign, Premier Doug Ford promised a 5% increase in monthly payments for ODSP recipients. The other three major political parties called for the ODSP rates to be doubled. Individuals on ODSP have been receiving approximately $1,169 a month since 2018, 
A 5% increase would put an additional $58 in their pockets. The NDP say that OW recipients have not received an increase in payments and receive about $733 a month. That's the Ontario Works. The MPPs say that their first trips to the stores were daunting, but they also acknowledge their privilege and that after the two-week time period, they will be returning to their own economic living situations. The increased ODSP payments are expected to roll out in September and are typically made out at the end of the month. So it should be interesting to see what they conclude. I'm curious to see what they're, what they're going to be uh, presenting as a conclusion from this particular experience. I'd love to know what it is that they actually purchased, what they, what they ate for that period of time, how they managed to stretch that budget dollar, and what they learned uh, along the way. And if they had to consider, for example, food banks or something else to, uh, to, to augment their, their groceries. All right. Um, as we uh, close up, uh, wrap up the show here this uh, Monday morning, I want to take a little uh, self-indulgent opportunity here. I am the manager of AMI-audio, the audio channel. That's the TV channel that's just got a black screen, but is also available pretty much on every, uh, on every uh, cable network where you're watching this show currently uh, on AMI-TV, AMI-audio. Uh, we, of course, also do a ton of podcasts, and lately we've branched out into video podcasts that are available both on YouTube and on your favorite Spotify's or Apple's or whatever um, uh, podcatchers. Tomorrow, as mentioned earlier, Brock Richardson and his friends present The Neutral Zone, which is para and pro sports talk show. For the first time, they'll be on video, published on YouTube, as well as the audio platform. That's a 52-minute discussion, and they always do a lovely balance of para and pro sports. His panel include people like Claire Buchanan uh, and... Uh, uh, Cam Jenkins and so on, who have a lot of experience in Paris sports themselves. It's always a delightful, engaging conversation. Thursday, our old friend from this show and others, Joita Gupta, presents a new season of her long-form interview show, The Pulse. That's also available now on YouTube and other platforms. And both The Neutral Zone and The Pulse are weekly shows. And, of course, anything that goes up on uh, the uh, YouTube platform comes with transcripts, captions, etc. So um, it's uh, a nice new evolution here for AMI-audio. And uh, we released the third episode of Ardor Shepard's new video podcast, Tripping on Air, where she talks about uh, life with MS. And finally, we'll be debuting a new audio-only podcast hosted by financial advisors Becky Armstrong and Ryan Chin. These are names that are familiar to many of our listeners. It's called Eyes on Your Money. So look out for that podcast, and that one is produced in collaboration with AEBC. Thank you very much for listening to Now with Dave Brown here on uh, AMI-tv, watching and listening to Now with Dave Brown. Of course, this show is available as a podcast as well, so if you missed any of it, you can just go to your favorite podcast provider and grab the segment or grab the entire show. Tomorrow, Lawrence Gunther, he's going to drop by and speak to Dave about the benefits of working remotely. That's Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Thanks to our guests today, Mark Aflalo, Michelle McQuick, Thea Curdy and others. And thank you very much to the AMI-TV technical crew for tolerating me today. See you you tomorrow. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.